We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering, as we do each week, to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion. We'd love to hear what you're thinking, too. Go to our community's Facebook page, post your thoughts. Okay, now I'm 30 minutes from vacation. <laughs> we are moving this thing along, people. <laughs> All right, I said last week that when we approach this concept, changing our minds, it's really helpful for us to understand the architecture of our brains. Three modules, I said, often cross-purpose to one another. Now, it's more complicated than this, but I kind of outlined it as lizard brain module that takes care of survival instinct, mammal brain module which takes care of memories and emotions and motivations, thinking routines, and human brain module which is the higher functioning, the reason, imagination, planning module. Now, the helpful part for us is to realize that we got these brains through an iterative process. Uh, in other words, we started with brain 1.0, and then we added on top of it brain 2.0, and then we added on top of that brain 3.0. We did not delete the previous modules. They are still in there. They're still working hard to fulfill their purpose. We just added extra on top as we went along. And here's the reason that's important is because we usually don't take that into account. We assume that this last module is defining us and we don't pay attention to the drives and the needs and we don't factor in the deeper parts of our brains, the more primal parts of our brains. So when we don't take into that into account, which we usually don't, it makes it very difficult to live the spiritual life, the virtuous life, the noble life. But what do you know? The spiritual tradition has bequeathed us a heritage, stories and practices that help us work with our brain architecture the way our brain is architectured. Helps us tap into the deeper and the truer, truer and the realer that is within us. Well, if you missed last week, you can have a listen online and catch up on all of that. But today, I want to talk about one of the features of our brains that makes the noble life both accessible and at the same time elusive. Makes the noble life accessible and elusive, and that principle is reciprocity. Reciprocity. <clears throat> built into your head, built into my head, uh, is the instinct to reciprocate to other people. If somebody does something nice for us, an impulse kicks in to do something nice for them. It's why salespeople give stuff away. It inclines us, mildly, but it inclines us to want to do something nice in return. But also, if somebody says something mean to us, you know just as well as I do that the instinct is to reciprocate that as well. Someone says something mean to us, we want to say something mean in return. Reciprocity is in our brains, it's part of the package. So a study at Arizona State sent personal Christmas cards to random people in town. Didn't know the people, just sent a signed personal card. And the funny thing was, uh, the majority of people who received that card sent one back. <laughs> the majority of people that did that. Now, I do feel the reciprocity instinct. I know what it is that we're talking about. I can't imagine it around Christmas cards, but I think that might be a different issue. So. Uh, reciprocity is part of the wiring of your brain and my brain. One of the things that it's done is help us become a social species. 
It helps us collaborate with people that we don't know very well. It helps us participate in large group cooperation with people who are strangers to us. Life is full of situations where if we cooperate with other people, we create a bigger pie for everyone to participate in. So reciprocity helps us do more together than we can do as individuals. So again, it's in there. And building on this brain feature, we've developed a go-to human strategy. Uh, this one's so ingrained, it feels like it's instinct. Psychologists call it the tit-for-tat game that our brains play. Do unto others what they do unto you. <laughs> Maybe you can hear Jesus in the wings with a bigger idea, but do unto others what they do unto you. Tit-for-tat. It's returning, reciprocating. The instinct brain plays this game, this tit-for-tat game, uh, as a way of helping us navigate the complexity of living in a social context. If people are good to you, well, then you be good back. If people are bad to you, well, then you be bad back. Reciprocity, tit-for-tat. And then the other part of our brains is to keep track of this very important social capacitating uh, thing in our heads is we've got a ledger in our heads and our brains are really good at keeping track. We keep track of who it is that has been nice to us because now I know I'm obligated to them, I owe them. We also keep track of who has been not nice to me because in a real way I owe them as well and I'm going to reciprocate. So if you imagine how this would have developed in our head, imagine living in this uh, hunter-gatherer situation and we're thinking about food. So food has been hunted, food has been gathered, and it has been brought back to the tribe to be shared. And our brains know who brings back and who doesn't, who shares and who doesn't, who is, share, who is generous and who is stingy. The ledger in our head is finely tuned to keep track. Now, I bet you've had this argument at your house. I've had it in mine. Uh, who's done their fair share of the work? Whose turn is it to do the stinking dishes? Who's doing more? And who, our brains keep track. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Collaborating on a project at work. We know who's working and who's slacking. We know. And so a couple gets to year six or seven or eight, and the ledger has started to get weighed down somewhat, and there comes the firestorm. The brain keeps track live in a moment of social division like we're living in as a society and millions of brains are keeping track. All of those insults and all of those injuries, sure enough, firestorm. The brain keeps track. So reciprocity, tit for tat, the ledger. So maybe it was Gandhi, some people say it wasn't him who said it, but an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. This reciprocity feature in our heads, this tit-for-tat strategy in our heads, this ledger keeping in our heads. Yes, it helps us cooperate, but it's a two-edged sword. It's also good at creating downward spirals down in this spiral of animosity toward one another that feeds upon itself. If you treat me badly, my brain impulse knows what to do and that is to treat you badly. And as soon as I do, 
Well, then your brain ups the ante and treats me even more badly, and it becomes a cycle that runs and runs and runs until somebody storms the Capitol or runs a campaign of genocide. The same brain feature that can build a society can tear one down. The same brain feature that can build a family or a friendship or a community can also tear one down. And it's a sturdy feature, this reciprocity thing in our heads. It's tenacious. Scan a brain doing one of those fMRIs that's feeling mistreated or feeling offended, and the part of the brain that lights up is associated with anger. That's not surprising. The part of the brain that lights up is associated with dislike. Also, not surprising. Disdain, even. Not surprising. But here's what surprised me. Another part of the brain that lights up is the part of the brain when it's hyped up on negative reciprocity is the part of our brain that's associated with calculation and plan making. So in other words, treat me badly and my brain goes to work making a plan. And that plan is eventually going to culminate in you feeling hurt. So brains, <laughs> we got to deal with them. They're in our heads. So <coughs> here's the thing. This is not a new insight. We knew about it a long time before we had brain scans. That's why Jesus is waiting in the wings with the golden rule. There is a bigger idea. Because Jesus took tit for tat, he turned it on its head and he said, yeah, do not settle for reciprocity, it's not enough. Do not settle for tit for tat, it's not enough. It's not going to end well. You have heard it said, Jesus said, that you should love your neighbor and you should hate your enemy. That's tit for tat. Well, I'm telling you that strategy is too limited. It'll go fine for a while, but it won't go the distance. It'll get cooperation started, but it will not break the cycle when things start to go south. You need a better strategy. You need a strategy that has a built-in repair feature, a built-in stop-the-cycle feature. What you need is the golden rule. But here's the thing. In order to be able to apply the golden rule, you're going to need to access something inside of you that is deeper than your evolutionary instinct. You're going to need to access what we called last week the more feature that we carry inside of ourselves, the inner light or better angels or Holy Spirit, the indwelling divine. So remember what I said last week, yes, clay, but also divine breath. Yes, brainstem and limbic system and neocortex, yes, but also inner voice, inner light. And you can access both. You can. You can be a cycle breaker. There is that capacity that you and I carry within ourselves to be downward spiral cycle breakers. But to do that, we need to access the more that every one of us carries within. More than reciprocity, more than tit for tat, more than ledger keeping. Another of our ancient texts, you might have heard it, First Peter says, don't repay evil with evil. Don't repay insult with insult. No, go the other way. Repay evil with blessing. Repay insult with blessing. Which I know sounds like crazy talk. Because people do awful things, outrageous things. And then to turn around and bless them is really just inviting them to do more 
awful things. There's a reason that our brains developed this reciprocity feature. There's a reason why we practiced it for tat, and that is to compel people to behave. Start behaving, and then I will bless you. Do what is right, and then I'll treat you with dignity. Until then, mocking and mistreatment. Until then, derision and dismissal. Until then, payback, that's what you get. Which would be fine, except for the downward spiral. I heard a lot at the, after the last election about how shame is actually a tool for social change. And, you know, I mean, you can make the case for that. That is reciprocity. There's a reason why we've got that reciprocal thing in our brains. It does work. The problem is it works very limited way and causes a lot more damage than it fixes. So it would be fine to keep practicing that except for that downward spiral process. An eye for an eye and eventually the whole world goes blind. So here's what the principle brings up. It's the question of who. Who is going to break the cycle? Who is going to trigger the reversal? Who brings us out of this reciprocity trap? Practicing insult, uh, blessing for insult, who does that? Well, my brain has a vote. And here's what my brain says. I think if we're going to decide who it should be, it should be you. <laughs> you do a good turn toward me, and then I'm going to reciprocate. That's what my brain says. <laughs> And I imagine if your brain had a vote, you might vote very similarly. You would like me to make the first step. So in our nation, there are lots of polls keep asking this question. What are the big problems in our country? And one of the top is again and again and again how much division there is be between us and how much that is a threat to our nation. And yet, our leaders and our microphones and our talking heads keep poking this downward reciprocity feature in all of our brains. See how badly they treat us? See how harmful they are? See the bad things they are doing? See how they are not behaving? So of course our brains want to punish. Of course our brains want to go to the harsh words that we hear so many of these days. Of course, you know, we usually don't say those things face to face, but of course we say them. Of course, resentments, and of course, withdrawals, of, cor of course, quiet punishments, because those things are a match for the tit-for-tat strategy. Except an eye for an eye, and the world goes blind. So back to the question, who? Who breaks the cycle? And if we take Jesus seriously, the answer is you. If we take Jesus seriously, the answer is me. The answer is us. Because people who are on this spiritual transformation path, people who are about the work of dismantling the false self and awakening the deeper self from slumber, people who are working hard to access and to discern the interior light, these are the people best positioned to do more. These are the people best positioned to transcend our evolutionary instinct. In fact, that text from Peter that I mentioned a moment ago, it says as you go just a couple words on, 
that doing that job, repaying insult with blessing, it's our calling. The Greek words kaleo, it means our mission, our life purpose. When Jesus talks about being salt and light, it's not about preserving power for ourselves or illuminating, illuminating darkness for ourselves. It's for the whole, not the part. Accessing the inner light, light isn't about having light for me. Access, accessing the indwelling divine isn't about finding good things for me. It's about good things that I do find within myself that are for me so that, so that I can be an agent of good things to the world around me. It's not about good stuff just in me. It's about good stuff in me so that good stuff can go through me to our homes and to our neighborhoods and to our kids' schools and to our companies, to our city. Good stuff like breaking the downward spiral that everybody is caught in right now. Who? It's us. We are called to and equipped to be a cadre of people breaking the reciprocity cycle. We are called to, we are equipped to be about the work of creating a world for others to live in where oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness, where everything is connected, where everyone and everything does belong, where the strong look out for the weak, where the insiders invite, invite outsiders to a place at the table. So when the historical moment arises to join in breaking one of the cycles, like racial inequity or racial division. Our tradition tells us, come on people, that's our cue. History is making this one relatively easy for us right now. We have so many resources to help us get educated. We have 50 other congregations to participate with, doing service work and systems work, challenging the systems that keep creating inequity. Now admittedly, history is not making it quite as easy to get on board with breaking the cycle of our political divisions. Our society has framed a collective story and reinforcing structures that make it very difficult to even start talking. Mostly what happens when we do is we trigger reactions. We get regurgitated talking points and usually we poke somebody and they have a flared temper. It doesn't usually go well. But that doesn't mean that we get to dismiss that word, calling. That word says, if not you, who? If the seeking the inner light people don't keep trying to break the cycle, who will? We know that our talking heads surely will not. They get paid more the more they inflame us. We know that our partisan leaders won't do it. They mobilize their base if they keep us inflamed. So, who will? And if not you, and if not me, who? Now, I work really hard never to stand up here and say stuff, or sit up here and say stuff that I'm not really working hard on doing myself. So I've been working on this one. And it's because I've been working on this one that I know how difficult it is. And I haven't had a lot of success on this partisan divide one. In fact, every time I've reached out, at best I've been ignored more than a few times, been slapped away. 
And every time I get inflamed by something or another that I see happening, I keep working on my soul. And I keep trying to better access the inner light because calling, if not us, who? This is stinking difficult. This is a hard moment in history. And if not us, who? So I keep working on my skills. I'm not immune to the reciprocity cycle, so I keep working on the spirituality, but I keep also trying to figure out how would I approach someone better or how would I be more creative in creating these kinds of conversations where I would be less triggering and more likely to begin to uh, speak across the divides. But part of the reason it's so difficult right now is our nation just is inflamed right now. We are triggered. We are in this reciprocity cycle. We are fully, fully engaged in that downward spiral. So what we've done is just to survive, we've all gone to our separate corners. The places that we used to mix together are not as mixed as they used to be. And so, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because we're inflamed, because even with a gentle touch, we create pain. So it might be a while before that inflammation will go down. So we will have to think more about being creative. I'm thinking about talking circles again next year. But what we can't do is abandon the calling because again, if not us, who? It is to us to draw from inner light. It is to us to break through our brain limits and to push back against the reciprocity cycle, to, tr to transcend tit for tat and to fully live the golden rule, it is to us. Which means it is to us to be steady in our contemplative practice. Which means it is to us to keep working on building spiritual community. Which means it is, is to us to keep focused on self-awareness, to keep strengthening ourselves, to keep learning, to invite inflamed people in, and to keep serving, and to keep learning, to be able to be cycle breakers. And when we find a moment or when we create a moment, or when we precipitate the possibility of a moment, we step into the breach. And I pray that that will be so, that we would continue becoming the kind of people who are able to occupy this cycle-breaking space, and that we may find the opportunities and continue to develop the skills to engage them. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your tithes and offerings. And as you're doing that, um, remember that we all donate online. Uh, the uh, donate button's on our website. You can give several ways. You can text. You can set up a... You can, there's lots of ways to give there. And remember what I say all the time, that <clears throat> spiritual community is a great investment because there is a profound return on that investment. When we give our love, when we give our energy, when we give our time, when we give the work that it takes to open ourselves to share life with someone else and the dollars that it takes to be financially healthy, when we give to spiritual community, what is returned to us is profoundly transformative. I've experienced it. I know this is true. Uh, it's a great investment. Donate online. And as you're doing that, what are you thinking about? What is stirring up in your heart? Let's see. Oh, yeah. And we got a microphone today with batteries in it. 
So uh, Diane says, how do the nice people who already tried to do this, returning mercy for evil, find the authentic part of themselves and not get taken advantage of? And then Rosemary comes along and says, I think the answer is to have really good boundaries and be able to say no with kindness. And I think it's what I said in the lesson, we do the work to be able to occupy this space. Because if you're coming at this from the not nice personality, that would be mine. I mean, I, I can be nice, nice, I'm nice a lot. But that wouldn't be my temptation was to fall into toxic niceness. My temptation would be to fall into toxic get out of my wayness. That would be what I would tend to do. So, but if your temptation is to fall into the unhealthy version of niceness, what we saw earlier in the, the young woman on this Zoom call is processing. You know, if, if it's nice, and it's good. Nice is good, nice is good, nice is good. A little bit more, nice is good. A little bit more, nice is good. And somewhere along the way, we cross a line. And who knows where that line was because it's never easy to see. And now, nice has become not good. And I think that's what, uh, what uh, Rosemary's bringing up is Knowing our boundaries is part of the skill set required to be able to do that kind of personality aware work. Because sometimes we need to challenge injustice, and that's kind of not nice. <laughs> sometimes we need to challenge injustice in a way that is engaging rather than knockdowning, and that sometimes isn't our temperament, isn't our personality. So. How do we do this? Gene's uh, already taken it away. How we do it is we, we keep on this growing path. We keep on this developing path. That's what we do. Let's see, um, before going to Bob's, anybody thinking anything? Okay, Bob says, this strategy of returning harm with good is not universal. Returning harm with good uh, for many people that hurt us, disconnecting is a more practical way of working through our life. So <clears throat> here's the thing. That's true. <laughs> and thank you, Bob, for bringing up the counterpoint that is also true. <laughs> Bob, have you ever done that before? <laughs> so here's the thing. What Bob's saying is true. So there's, a, there's a saying that says, I can savor the divine light that is within you from over here. <laughs> I don't have to, because I am seeing that divine light, get up close and enmesh my light with yours. Don't have to do that. Because, you know, when, when Saul throws a spear at David, David doesn't get vindictive, but what he does do is get out of town. He gets away from the harm that's being done. And yes, that's an important principle. But here's the problem with that principle. It's really convenient. The problem with that principle is... That's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't ever have to deal with anybody else because whew, I'm off the hook and I could just back away and I could just keep withdrawing. And at some point, if all we do is withdraw, then when are the times that we engage? And that's the tension. So that's what I was talking about today. And boy, I tell you, I've sat with lots and lots of people saying, it is time for you to get away. Get away and get far, far away and do it now and don't pass go. Go get away. But then there are a lot of times when we don't do that. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a one-size-fit-all rule that applied to all situations in our lives and we could just say, now I know the right answer and go do that. But we can't. We need to discern the moments. We need to discern our own interior capacity. Part of the reason we work on our interior uh, souls, on, our, on the light within, is because that expands the number of situations that we can enter into competently, skillfully, with capacity. 
if I have an expanded access to the interior divine within, I can go into situations that once the only alternative for me was to withdraw, now I can go and engage and be an agent of change in that moment. So, yes, Bob, and no, Bob. So, Mariah, I see it. It's a lot of words. How about if you just talk? <laughs> or how about if I uh, read it and then you, you've... Uh, so, I am feeling a bit synchronous with this lesson. And by synchronous, you mean you're resonating? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. This being the last week of school, Mariah's a teacher, by the way, I've been talking with my kids about the state of the world regarding marketing, society, manipulation, and so forth. I suggested to them that everyone deserves a chance to invest in community because everyone deserves a chance to receive not only the inherent gifts of community, but also the somewhat magical thing that happens inside us as individuals when we, you did this all on your phone? You are good, sister. <laughs> when we choose to give. The kids don't have much language for that, neither do I, secular language that is, but they can verbalize that they can even feel it is better when we are not attacking each other but working together. Then one of my students said this, I know it's hard, but I notice something about my mind changes when I choose to give my permission for people to be how they are. Ah, what a smart kid. Yeah, that's great. No, you said plenty. Is there more to say? Okay. Okay. Very good. What do you think, Kate? No. Okay. Where'd the microphone go? Oh, you've got it. Oh, okay. So, uh, Lindsay, you think anything? You get to say no when I call on you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, Carol, you think anything? No. Heather, you thinking anything? Oh, what a surprise! Take the microphone over to Heather. I just start talking, Gene will fix it. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to meld together what you were talking about, the college. Yeah. Kaleo, K A, well, in, in Greek. With this idea of voluntary and another idea of boundary. Yeah. Because to some extent, separation feels like abandoning the space. Whereas another way of thinking of it, I'm wondering if there's a way to use conceptual words. And so uh, let us underscore what you just said. Yes. That's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> what I'm talking about today is stretching ourselves to get to the place that we can step into more spaces where we actually would have the skills and capacities to break that downward cycle. But here's the reason why we have, you know, if you use the Enneagram as a way of talking about it, nine different personalities. Because nine different personalities are going to do nine different things well. We're going to have, this is why we have this shared experience. Everything you're saying is kind of the bedrock of what makes community such a powerful component in our lives. Yes. 
And today I'm talking about let's stretch ourselves so that all of us, given our unique personalities, are able to step into more spaces and become cycle breakers. Because what I know that what I couldn't do seven years ago, I can do now. And what I, want, what I wonder is, what will I be able to do seven years from now that I can't do now? And it's that process of working on our interior capacity to be able to walk into more places, because right now, the desperate need of our culture are people who will break the cycles that have put us in this downward spiral. And it's true, the, the big glaring issues right now are racial inequity, and the big glaring issues are uh, our inability to take care of things like climate change, because we can't even agree on facts. So we, we've got these things going on right now that are threatening our children's lives. And so more and more and more of us need to be capable to step into fraught situations with capacity. And so what do we do? We work the circle, people. That's what we do. And then <laughs> we go on vacation. <laughs> I did. I could have I been out of here a minute ago. <laughs> If you would, please put your hand on your heart and let's remember as we go that we are all carriers of the indwelling divine. Light and love and truth and goodness, the fruit of the indwelling spirit is within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city. So let's look for opportunities to share what is in us with the people that we live and work, go to school with, the people with whom we share our city. Looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you. Online, we're dismissed. Those in the room, what we're going to do is we are going to go greet one another. Try and greet three people before you go. Bump elbows and say good morning. See you all next week. Well, actually, I won't, but you can be here next week. See ya. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. You can go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is at the top of the page for your computer's browser, at the bottom of the page for your phones.